Good morning. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'd like to welcome you to this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour. I'm here with Anita. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. And we today have a guest, Jim Bearden. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Cheryl. Glad to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I might add that Jim is Cobb County's newest Master Gardener. Jim graduates today and becomes a full-fledged, like my choice of words, uh, Master Gardener. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And I just want to say that Master Gardeners in Cobb County, um, they really get brought into the program well-educated and with a really fun celebratory party with champagne and cake tonight. Maybe not champagne, but it's fun. We can pretend that it's champagne. Yeah. Um, Also, they recognize 10-year and 20-year lifetime master gardeners tonight. So it's something that all you aspiring master gardeners out there can have something extra fun to look forward to. Um, Jim, you we're going to talk about your love, Bluebird Bluebird Trail. Right. Um, in Cobb County. Tell us about um, how you kind of got where you are now. Well, I um, started with by going to the garden, to the preserve, which is the Green Meadow Preserve that's located in West Cobb. And that's where the uh, Green Meadow uh, Community Garden is located. I first found out about the area by... Um, volunteer and becoming a volunteer of the master gardeners before I went to the classes and decided to become a master gardener. So you were working at Green Meadows. I was working that. as a volunteer okay. and um, I worked on a couple of different projects. One being the community garden and one with Jack Driscoll on the um, period planning for the old plantation house. We were restoring plants uh, for the time period that it was an active plantation back in 1830s. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's a Native American garden there. So I volunteered with Tony, who's overseeing that. He's uh, from the Cherokee Nation. And so um, there's three projects out there. So when I inquired about becoming a part of the community garden, I was informed that there was already full and there was a waiting list. To so, have a garden to or have to be a, a volunteer? To have a garden plot because okay. I, I wanted to have a vegetable okay. garden there as well. So I continued to be involved, volunteer, and do um, volunteer work on all three projects. Then I went to my um, classes for master gardening. And then the community garden, I knew they were going to add additional raised beds. So you just kind of hung out and waited. So I kind of hung out on the waiting list and waited, and uh, I finally got, I had requested two raised beds, and so I was able to get those later in the year. Good, good. Um, So I've been involved with a community garden since the beginning. Okay, let's go back a little bit longer. How did you, I read in your bio that you grew up on a farm in Alabama with six siblings. Yes. So obviously you were outside and were around and gardening and farming. Correct. That's where I learned the basics of of gardening, I guess, is Mm -hmm. is from my, my dad, my parents. Um, we grew up on a farm. We, we raised crops. We had animals, livestock. Um, we kids um, 
nature was it was commonplace for us. The whole county was our backyard. So That's we were so able cool. to That's uh, so cool. roam around and had a lot of space and didn't um, know a lot of things that were happening in big cities. So That's a good thing. Yeah, it was a good thing at the time. Another thing I'm going to share with you guys about Jim that I thought was really cool is, you know, most of us say our first job was, you know, babysitting or washing cars or whatever. Um, Jim, yours was working in a greenhouse. How much do you make an hour? Fifty cents an hour. Okay, so that's kind of cool. That so you cool. actually worked in a commercial greenhouse. It was uh, it was a commercial greenhouse. Uh, it was also a um, they had uh, a lot of um, trees. It was a um, nursery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lady who uh, was the grandmother of the whole family nursery was Mrs. Aldridge, and she was about eighty one, eighty two years old. And she taught me how to um, plant flowers and how to transplant flowers and how to grow triple petunias and ruffle petunias. And That's so cool. She was, she was great at it. So that was my first lesson in, in gardening. Hey, I love it. I love it. I, I used to live in L.A., lower Alabama. Yeah. So I know kind of about all those country greenhouses, and they are, they're kind of special. Yeah, they are. The ferns they grow in Alabama in the greenhouses, to me, are incredible. Um, let's kind of start talking. You, you're at Green Meadows, and then all of a sudden you are seeing something that you want to do, and it involves bluebirds, and it involves something that you've created, which is so special to be like a new into our program and new into volunteering in our community, but you've created a bluebird trail. This is correct. I I saw a lot of songbirds, bluebirds, and they're, they're beautiful songbirds. They make a great sound. They uh, are beautiful in color if you've seen them. Um, so I saw a number of those around the garden because 80% of their diet is insects. So they are, they're good for the garden because they're taking insects out of the garden. Um, so I, I saw the activity in, in the birds, and I was familiar with them having spent my younger years living on a farm and having seen them make nests and fence posts and tree cavities and things of that sort. But we don't have that here. We cut trees down if it becomes rotten and there's no tree posts because, fence posts, because we're not raising cattle and we're not letting them rot or we have metal and they can't make nests in those. Got Anita. That that makes me sad. I mean, you think about it. I mean, it's great to have a bluebird nest, but the natural habitat is disappearing. It is. And so the biggest reason that the numbers were decreasing is the lack of space or the lack of locations for them to make nests. So last year's plant sale for the Master Gardeners of Cobb County, I bought a bluebird nest box from a gentleman there, who um, George Burkett, who's always at our plant sales, and he makes the nest boxes for me. Uh, they're all made of untreated cedar. They're all made the same way. Um, and they're all cut so that they have the proper ventilation, and and then I take that and I do the rest. So I bought one from him, and then I got permission from Carol Hannock, who's the project coordinator for the community garden, if I could put it on the fence. So she said, that's fine. I put it on the fence of the garden, um, 
and about a week later, there's bluebirds hanging out around it, and they go through a whole courtship. The male is hangs out at the box, and he's kind of fluttering his wings, and he's trying to attract a female. So once he attracts a female <laughs> and she inspects the house, she makes the decision if that's where they want to build a house or not. So then, or they want to build a nest. So and lo and behold, in about a, another week or so, they started busy going back and forth with pine straw building a nest inside this box. That's so cool. That's so cool. Now, what? I know there are like several kinds of bluebirds in our country. What are? What are? Let's refresh everybody's memory about the bluebirds we have. For this area, it's it's the eastern bluebird. Okay. Um, They're the male is more blue in color. Uh, The female is um, less blue, but has a little bit more gray and speckled to uh, to her look. Are the male and female approximately the same size? They are. Okay. okay. And then you have the mountain bluebird, which is a little bit different in color for both the male and the female. So does the eastern go all the way up and down the eastern seaboard? Oh, they will. To the, like, Rockies or? The what? Rockies become the western. Okay. And that's where, when I put this uh, nest box on the fence, because we go to Colorado every summer. We have our daughter lives in Denver, and our, our first and only granddaughter is in mm-hmm. Denver as well. So we rent a place up on Lake Dillon, up in near yeah, Breckenridge no, and, and Keystone in that area. So there's some bluebird trails out there that so I those are the west- western. Those, they are the western okay. bluebirds, and okay. they're a little bit different in appearance. And the males are a little bit uh, larger than the ones uh, our eastern bluebirds. Okay, so once this family started hanging out. They built their nest first. They built the nest. They laid six eggs. Um, is they, that average? The average is four to seven. Four to seven. For eastern bluebirds. Okay. Um, they, uh, it takes them anywhere from two to six days to build a nest. And you can always tell the type of bird because the bluebird is not the only bird that will build a nest in the uh, That's so nest intriguing box. to me that just other guys will go in there. And so, somebody may start a nest and, for whatever reason, abandon it, and then somebody may come in and either build on top of it. Well, will they clean out the other guy's stuff? They won't, but they'll they'll build on top of it a different nest. Okay. Okay. But then, so what do bluebirds use? How can you tell it's bluebirds? Bluebird is primarily pine straw. Okay. And it's very neat in appearance. It's very round, very perfect, very deep as far as where it can hold all the eggs and all the chicks, um, and they're just a very neat bird in how they build a nest. Um, you get a Carolina wren. It uh, builds its nest primarily out of sticks, sticks and grass. Okay. Um, okay. And some hair they pick up off of the trail at the, at the preserve. Okay. I'm just a little bit more bird questions so that everybody's going to understand this. It says, I read in one of the uh, articles from Cornell about the nesting phase being 16 to 21 days. Now, that is when, is that before the eggs laid or is that after the eggs laid? That's the incubation for the eggs. Once once the uh, female lays the eggs, she, she lays one egg a day. Uh, once she decides to start laying eggs, she lays one egg a day. She can lay from four to seven eggs. Right, right. Then she'll take a break. Uh, and then once she decides to start sitting on the eggs to incubate the eggs, 
it takes 12 to 14 days to incubate okay. for the eggs to hatch. They all hatch the same day because she's... Even though some were laid ahead of time? Because she started sitting on them all at the same time. She laid the eggs one a day up to six or seven, and then she started sitting on the eggs all at the same time, and then they all hatched the same day, starting in the morning, and usually they're hatched by midday, early afternoon. Okay, I'm a deviant, but think about this. So the, the, the egg that was laid the first day, it's going to have, you know, seven days more growth on its sibling. So the last one laid, is he going to be like the little runt of the Not necessarily, brood? no. Because the eggs are all the same size when she laid them. Nothing's happening to them until she sits, she on, sits on them. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. And then once they hatch, it's... it's um, 17 to, uh, excuse me, 15 to 18 days for them to fledge, for them to leave the nest. Ooh, quick. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. And the thing about eastern bluebirds is when they leave the nest, they're capable of flying. They develop their feathers in, a, in mature enough that they can fly to a branch or a perch or things that we have up So once they fly, they can provide their own food. We're going to take a break. I'm going to finish that question when we come back. We're going to be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Learn, connect, share. Join us every Friday at 11 o'clock to learn all those confusing issues around healthcare, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid. We'll help you find the answers, help you stay in compliance. Join us Friday at 11 o'clock. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm black with Jim Bearden and our co-host, Anita McKee, and we're talking about this glorious bluebird trail in West Cobb County. Uh, We were talking about how, you know, the birds are, you know, hatched, and they're, now they've left their nest, and Jim kind of, like, educated me in the fact that they can fly the minute they're hatched. Is that right? not that they're hats. They they need to mature for up to 17, 18 days okay, so of one... maturity. But after they reach that point and they decide it's time to leave the nest, they can fly at that point. Okay, so they won't just plop out and fall on right. the ground there and be okay. And, and that's why we, we take some precautions that we do on the trail. If if you're out there and you walk the trail, you'll see that I have put a um, guard a little cross pin guard that you a latch is the better word so that because it's a park so people come out there and they walk the trail and people are curious 
and they want to inspect them and they want to see what's inside them. So sometimes people will open the nest, which we discourage, especially if it's close to the time that the birds are going to fledge. Because if you open the door and they're big and ready to leave, they might hop out prematurely and can't fly and they're on the ground, then the predators are going to get them. So what I do is once the bluebirds lay the first egg, because I inspect these boxes, 25 of them, Mm -hmm. every week, Mm -hmm. and during the nesting season. So once there's an egg in the nest, whether it's a bluebird or a chickadee or a uh, a wren, I put a little electrical tie on the latch so that people just can't open it. They would have to snip it in order to open it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Just to say, hey, don't open this. And it's so far it's worked. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay, so the birds, they're out and they're flying and they're, do they leave immediately or and that's the end of their home or do they hang around? They hang around for up to 30, well, they hang around for an indefinite period of time, but up, for, up until 30 days, the parents will continue to feed the birds. They will fly. Is to that a when you tree. call them the college age kids? Yes, they they're okay, graduated, like but they're still at home. Okay, got it. Haven't got gotten it. a job yet. Okay, I like that. So, but you can see, like when I feed the birds, I can see the young because they're they're not as blue, and they have a lot of speckled chests and on their feathers. They will literally come and sit on the feed station and not eat, and the parents will take the food from the station and feed them that close. They can fly to the feed station. I've got children like that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of fun to watch. So they stay in the area, and and the parents do take care of them, not just the parents, but also the the siblings uh, of maybe a a prior uh, brood helps feed them. So they're quite a community bird. Well, I, audience, I have not been out to this trail, but I'm just trying to visualize it. Are there like a lot of trees around where the trail is so that they can go from the nest to the post out to trees? and? Not in all places. There's trees throughout the park, and there's trees all along the trail. But some of the areas where I have the, the nest box poles, they need to be in the open because bluebirds don't make nests and in woods. Uh, okay, I learned that. So they like show. to be in an open okay. space. At all of the nest boxes that do not have a, a tree or a small tree nearby, I have provided a perch that's within 10 feet of the entrance of the nest box so that the parents use this to check out the the house or the nest box before they fly into it. Because okay. there's no perch on the nest box for them to sit on. They fly from the perch directly into the hole into the nest. So that's why I provide the perch, but also it serves as a place for the young when they fledge to fly to when they leave the nest so that they have something in a, a very it. close proximity that they can land got on. It. I mean, you've got the... Um the everything going as far as the I have a question. Go, go, go. How many how many broods do they have per you know, season? They can have up to three. 
Okay. And, and this year I've had many nest boxes that produce three different broods. Okay. So each of the – they may start out – the first brood may be um, six or seven eggs. The first one's always more. Mm-hmm. The second would be uh, less eggs, and the third may be less. So it would be three or four. But they can produce up to three different families or three different broods in the same nest box for one nesting season, which is normally from February. Mm-hmm. Or I'd say February is when they start looking for the house. Uh-huh. So they lay their first eggs probably in March, mid-March, March to August. The last one fledged this year, August 20th, was the last wow. family that we had leave. And do they usually return to the same box? No, not no, necessarily. Not necessarily. And there's no they... way I can tell that because I haven't banded any of them and okay. I don't have them identified in the sense. So they may or may not. Okay. And what do you have to clean the boxes out after each nesting brood? I do. Because they like to start fresh. Right. Okay. All so right. after each, um, and like I say, every week when I record these, I go around, inspect the nest, inspect the box. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing built in there, I record it because I record all of this with the Nest Watch at the uh, ornithology site for Cornell University. So I have a website that I go on and I record all the activity mm-hmm. with each of the nest box, what I see, what kind of nests, what kind of uh, activities going on, any um, damage or any uh, anything that's kind of suspicious. So... Once they leave the nest, that becomes the end of that brood, and then I clean it, dispose of the nest, and I I use a um, 1 to 10 part solution of Clorox in water in a spray bottle. Okay. And when I go, after I clean it out, brush it out, Mm -hmm. I spray it so if there's any mites or anything in there that they won't carry over from one brood to the other. Okay, great. I was thinking about you when you were talking about the gentleman that makes the boxes for you. Right. Have you ever tried to make the boxes? Or I, that- he's a woodworker. He has all the tools, all the equipment. Um, he he has a passion for bluebirds as just as I do. So it it helps him. So I purchase them from him. He he gives me a better deal than what he sells it to at one of his shows. Right. So right. I just tell him how many I need, and he makes them, and they're all made the same. That was my, my question. You know, I see, I go into, like, a big box store or a, a nursery, and I see all kinds of nests, and I all, not nests, excuse me, all kinds of bird boxes. Right. The bluebird boxes, they are very particular about what they, the dimensions, the size, the opening, the whole structure of it. Is that true? This is true. And so all birds like one type of box? Well, they the bluebird, the opening is an inch and a half in diameter. And we do that so that the bluebird can get in, but a blue jay or a mockingbird or a crow could not. They're too 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 large a bird to go in. So it's we make it so that it's it's good for the small bird, but not for the medium size to large birds. Right. Uh, They're made with uh, cedar, which is a is a good weathering wood. So they're not painted. They're not painted. They're not treated. Um, They are um, ventilated at the top and on all the corners. So they're they're made well. Um, 
and even with our extreme heat this summer, they survived it, but we are going and adding additional uh, ventilation to the boxes for this coming summer because it gets if it's 100 degrees outside wow. or 95 degrees outside, wow. it's 105, 110 inside. So you're going to go back and retrofit all the ones you've got we are. We're just and gonna, put more we're just ventilation in it. We're just going to drill some holes at an at a angle so that the water doesn't get in, and it will give some additional uh, ventilation on the sides. So no, like Frank Lloyd Wright designed Blue Jay boxes. They would all look the same. Right. These these that, are all the same it. if you walk got the trail. It. And once I buy them from him, then I do the mount. I mount the pole to it. Uh, the reason I use the um, the electrical pole is uh, it's sturdy. What's an electrical pole? It's uh, metal. I, it's a metal pole. Okay. And I I order from the North American Bluebird Society the attachment for that attaches the pole to the box. Then I go to Home Depot and buy its stove pipe, uh, its its uh, carpenter wire mesh. Mm-hmm. So I put all this together and I put a predator guard on it so that snakes can't get up it, squirrels can't get up it, raccoons, uh, all the animals that live in that preserve. Uh, there's a lot of them out there that would be get into the nest, but I've put a predator guard. Is that on like it. the collar? It's a baffle around or it. it is. Okay, but it's not like a, it's 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 a stovepipe. It's long, so they can't hold on to anything, and they can't. If a snake tries to go up the pole, which they can climb, they can't get through because I have the mesh wire at, at the, the top. top. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Good. And good, then good. I. Install them by driving rebarb in the ground, and then I drive a pipe over the rebarb. It goes in the ground for uh, three feet, and then I have an attachment. I attach the two. With, uh, and they're how far off the ground? They are five and a half to six feet off the ground. Five and a half to six feet. Yeah, that's the height they like. Okay. And how, how was that determined? It's Think of a fence post. Okay. So you just took their natural their habitat, natural habitat and, and, and equated it and said, okay, this is what they like. This is the height they like. And it, I didn't create all of that. Some of it comes from the Bluebird Society and right, the, right. They, their recommendations. But that is... Um, okay, Jim, Anita, and I want to know, what's the most unusual creature that you've ever found in some of your nests? Well, the biggest problem is it's not the most unusual, but it's caused me the most havoc is this year is the um, the wasp like to build nests in the boxes because they're dry, and it's very easy for them to attach their their nest or their web, not their web, but their nest to the wood in the top of the wood. So if they build a nest in there, uh, a lot of times bluebirds will either abandon the nest because wasps will sting the the adults as well as the young. Um, so that has been my biggest challenge and my biggest headache because I have I clean out the nest boxes when I open the nest box and if there's a wasp nest in there, I take a stick and I clean it out and I've learned over the year through three stings and three trips to uh, urgent care that uh, these guys are vicious. And uh, all three of them, all three times I was stung, they were stung through gloves. I had gloves on. So now when I take the nest down, I have a spray that I use because I won't spray inside the box. If I spray inside the box, then the birds are not going to build in it. 
So will the wasps, are they, like, mean enough to go in when the eggs are there or when the babies are there, or do they do it between They are mean time? enough to go in when the babies are there. Wow, yeah. wow. So what I'm doing now is this cream is I'm treating the tops. I'm just taking and rubbing this Jim, solution. hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick break and be back with the Master Gardener Hour in just a second. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Hi, I'm Ray Bowman, hoping you'll join us each Friday at noon for our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you by FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, only on America's Web Radio. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my co-host, Anita McKee, and we have Jim Bearden, our guest today, and we're having a really interesting discussion about the Bluebird Trail, which is located in West Cobb County, and we're kind of talking about how to keep other creatures other than the bluebirds out of these boxes. So we, we were talking about something, a great kind of creative well, idea you've come up with well I've, i shared this information with uh, a friend of mine and one of the sponsors of uh, the nest box number two on the trail and he told me about this this solution he his company has developed and it's a bacterial cream it's called fight back and i first used it to treat the pole for ants because once the black ants get in there they will take over a nest 
And if they take over a nest, then the birds will, the adults will leave the nest, leave the eggs, leave everything. So I have to go in and take them out, and then I have to wash out the nest. You're talking about the big black ants? Well, they're they're the sugar ants. The sugar ants. Sugar black ants. Okay, got it. So they are the worst. So I can't spray the nest, so I have to clean out the nest. Then I wash it out with uh, under pressure with water and then um, let it dry, then put it back up on the pole. Mm -hmm. But then I got the idea of of trying to use the same um, bacterial cream to coat the top of the nest box so the wasps can't attach their nest to it and make their nest because that's my... Because it's too greasy. It's that's too slimy right. for them to attach that's, to. That's, that's the brilliant. Most, um, that's the biggest challenge I've had, and it's they're, they're the big yellow and black wasp. They're very painful. They're, they hurt a lot <laughs> when they sting you, so I'd rather not uh, be stung by those. Yeah. Hey, I'm so it's hard to get volunteers to check nest box out there because they know that these potential hazards are there. So I ended up having to check all of them myself. Hey, this I love the winter. No bugs, no bees, no poison ivy. It's my favorite time to go outside. Right. I love it. I don't care if it's you guys five degrees in Atlanta. It's been crazy this week. So you, when you were talking, do you have? Do you do all the checking of the boxes yourself? I mean, or do you have a team? Or tell me how this works. I do when I'm in town. I do because I still work on occasion. I, I coordinate meetings for a company, so I'm I know when I'm going. So if I'm going to be out of town, I have a a fellow gardener that uh, I work with. That's been he and his wife. Uh, Mike and Sue Plum mm-hmm. have been great in helping me that if I'm out of town, they will check the nest or they will feed the birds or change the water in the bird bath for me. So they've been a great help in that regard. But if I'm in town, I'm out there just about every day mm-hmm. and um, do something along the Bluebird Trail. It's um, It's been a year in the making. Uh, last year, we only had 20 nest boxes. So... There's a number of occasions that happened that people asked me if they could sponsor a nest box, and I didn't have any more that I was going to put up. Because I guess the 2.3-mile trail can only... Well, it's there's room for more if I go out into the middle of the, the preserve, but I try to stay within a close proximity of the hiking trail. Right. So I had 20, but I took it off into different areas, which the park now is working with me, and they're cutting additional trails by the ones that I have, additional ones that I put out. So I have a total of 25 nest boxes along the 2.3-mile trail. Uh, All of those have been sponsored by different individuals, Uh, and the reason I went 20 to 25 is there's different circumstances, people that had lost parents or kids or something, and they wanted it in their kid's name as their memory. So I went, did additional five, and those are all up. Question, do you let people put plaques on their boxes? I put plaques on it for them. If, you they, do. if they okay. tell them, all the boxes are numbered, and if they just tell me what names they want to go on the nest box. And I have a label maker that I take aluminum labels, and some of it's for their grandkids, some of it's for their parents that have passed away mm-hmm. or things of that things that they want what a, a great tribute of. yes and i have right now we have six what we call feed stations and these are 
bird feeders that are made similar to the bluebird nest boxes, whereas the bird has to go inside to eat the mealworms. So it's made so that crows and large birds can't eat all the food. Um, so I have six of those up, and I have well, four. I, I want to stop right here because I do have some questions about that. Because we've had other people on the show that, you know, that, you know, there's, I guess I will use the word controversy about whether you should supplement their natural food that they would get in the wild and keeping like only the strong survive and, you know, letting them supplement their own food. So obviously you've gone the route of supplementing their food. With mealworms. I do because when when the young are in the nest, after they hatch, the parents feed the young twice an hour. Each bird gets fed twice an hour. So that's great if there's enough natural insects and bugs around for them to feed five chicks. But when you got twenty five times five going at the same time, I see your uh, So I supplement it with, with mealworms, dried mealworms, which I purchase at uh, the best place I've found is Tractor Supply. Mm-hmm. And I've shopped every place you can imagine to find mealworms. And they're really designed for people that raise chickens to feed their chicks. So but I use them to feed the bluebirds. So I supplement the the bluebird feed in the hatching season, in the nesting season, for that reason. So they have adequate food nearby that they can get to help feed the birds. When they feed twice an hour, will each will each um, baby get one mealworm, or how many? Have you ever figured that out? I haven't. I haven't gotten it okay. down to okay. I would need to put a webcam in, in a number so of the boxes. That would be so interesting to, to see. see how much they eat. And I'm sure the parents being responsible are making sure that they feed all the chicks adequately or giving them the opportunity to eat Well, they're the going to have amount. to keep going back and get more mealworms for the ones that are the loudest, that are chirping <laughs> right. the loudest. Okay, I've got a question. If you put in the feeding stations, there are regular bluebird boxes, correct? If you put the dried mealworms in... It, does, it doesn't go in the box. It doesn't, it doesn't go in the same box as the nesting box. The feed station is a total different pole with the same predator guard attachments okay. at a different location. There may be one feeder station that will support three nest boxes Okay, but does in, the, a, in a general area. What does the, the, feed, the, the nesting, what the, the feed station look like? It's a pole with an arm with a, a cedar. Uh-huh feeder that has a hole in either end of the box and it has plexiglass on both sides where you can see in and they go and they go inside the box so they go in the holes on the end right they can go in one come out the same hole or go out the other hole and get the mealworms and i mix the mealworms with sunflower hearts just to well, well fed, a lot of protein. That's high protein for the babies. And I and I do that in the um, nesting season, and I also do it right now because of the cold weather to help them survive the extreme cold that we're having. Because okay, I for some reason thought that after from February when they start looking for the nest, and then when they the last babes take off in August, for some reason I thought. 
Nobody stayed in the nest during the winter. They don't migrate. The, blue, the birds stay here because our climate normally is, is very mild. So the birds don't migrate south or north. So just the north. couple, the mother and father, live in the box. They don't. Nobody lives in the box during the winter. Oh, but they're living in the trees and the bushes. But I'm feeding them at oh, the feed station, feed, but so that they have food during this extreme cold. Because if they don't have food and water, then they can't survive this five and ten degree above. Okay, so really, these boxes are really for raising families. They're not permanent homes for the couples. Correct. They are okay. just for making okay. nests, hatching okay. eggs, and fledging birds. Got it. They Got do it. not use them for roost in the winter. Okay. So they go to a condo in a tree. They yeah. go to a condo in a tree. Yeah. Or, or they go, uh, or they go the into a brush pile. There you okay. go. Or anywhere that they are safe, that they can roost, that okay. gets them out of the elements. Okay, I did not know. Is there any, I, I'm a big I have a big problem with artificial environments, and I green meadows. Is there any natural water on this property? There is. There's a creek um, that, if you walk when you're walking the trail about a quarter of a way around the 2.3 miles, there's a creek that runs through it. Okay. Okay. And, and normally, it's it's. Um, there year-round. I've only seen one summer that it actually dried up. Well, hey, when you, we had you, the drought. you probably weren't there four years ago when we had like three years of drought. But, right. yeah, I'm sure it was dry then. But so they do – so you supplement with bird baths? Or? Just one. I have one bird bath on feeder station number two, which is close to the garden because it's more um, accessible as far as me being able to change the water in it on a frequent basis. They use it not just for drinking, but they use it for bathing. They're, it's they're playing active. in it. They're it's active. It. You'll sometimes I've seen as high as seven or eight bluebirds in the bird bath, all bathing and and splashing at the same time. So, I mean, obviously, when you developed this trail, knowing that there was a creek nearby was important in making for them this to choice have a source to, of water. You know, because if something happens to the bird bath, they still need to drink and bathe. Right. So, okay. Okay, that's good. I have another question. Do do bluebirds, do they, where, where they're raised, where they're hatched and raised, do they usually stay within um, the area? Do they leave? Because as you're talking about, you have the boxes, you have the feeder stations. I would think, hey. I would stay around. Would if, you? Would you leave? No. If it's a suitable environment mm-hmm. uh, with uh, adequate uh, nesting locations, uh, available water, and available food, yes, they stay. Okay. Um, like now, I was out there yesterday, and on feed station number four, which is the busiest, is um, they're like when I go there. And I look, it's always empty because there's, there's three different feeders on there. One's the bluebird feeder, and then there's one that anybody can eat out of. So it's like they're waiting for me to show up because once I fill up the boxes, they're all sitting in the trees kind of watching me. And then I can walk 10 feet away from the nest box, and there'll be 15, 20 bluebirds come to the feeder. Do you just... Bluebirds eat out of those feeders? No. You okay. have chickadees. You have and every other like birds. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So the sunflower hearts and, and the mealworms, that's the go-to food for the bluebirds. But you, you did you they, say my, you put other food out too? Not at the bluebird trail. I my backyard. Oh, I feed okay. birds year-round. It's a uh, it's a uh, habitat for national uh, for the Wildlife Federation. I had it certified 15 years ago, so I feed birds there of all types. But the bluebird trail, I. It's not that I'm discriminating against all other birds. There is every bird you can imagine out there. But my goal is to try to sustain the bluebird and the small birds mm-hmm. uh, for the nest box. I'm sure that we're gonna we're gonna have to take a quick little break, Jim, and get back with this in just a second. Come on, follow Snipples to Atlanta's go-to center for breathing easy. Do you suffer from chronic sinus headaches, recurrent sinusitis, facial pain or pressure, and chronic congestion? Well, balloon sinuplasty just could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. We treat the problem, not the symptom. Chronic sinus symptoms, gone. This could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. This proven in-office procedure can have you breathing easy, back to work the next day, and it's done under local anesthesia. Get lasting relief, a quick recovery, and start breathing easy again. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with Anita McKee, and our guest today on the Master Gardener Hour is Jim Bearden, and we're talking about a cool habitat in West Cobb County. It is the Bluebird Trail, which is a little less than two and a half miles long, 25 bluebird boxes, and I would love to have the property neighboring this beautiful preserve. Tell, do you get a lot of good feedback from your neighbors? We do because it's it is part of the Cobb County Park System. It was purchased in uh, 2008 and made part of the the park system. So it's open to anyone and everyone. Uh, it's open 24/7. Is it on Dallas Highway? It's on it's on Dallas Highway, and the cross street is Old Hamilton Road. Old Hamilton, and it's just past the avenues west. So it's way past Marietta High School and you just keep going past west. the avenue. Um, it's, it's, um, okay, so you're way out there, almost in, what, Carroll, Paulding County? Paulding County is quite a couple miles away. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but great. But it's, it's pretty much in West Cobb. Okay. So it's uh, it's 112 acres, and it, it uh, adjoins a Frisbee Park, which used to be a driving range, and they made it a Frisbee Park. So there's a lot of people out there playing Frisbee golf, and well, it's a whole new fun. challenge. And then it, uh, it connects also to Oregon Park, which is where there's a lot of uh, tennis courts, and there's baseball diamonds, and a lot of the cool. kids play um, ball there in the summer. But the park has a lot of traffic. There's a lot of people that come out, um, a lot of senior citizen group from the uh, Lost Mountain Community Center come there and walk. 
Uh, a lot of people come and walk their dogs. <clears throat> it's a great place to walk dogs. Uh, some of the people that's been walking their dogs there for years off the leash are not happy to see all of us newcomers to the park because now they have to put them on the leash. Oh, they do? So, um, Do you guys yell at them when they no, take their don't. dogs off the leash? We don't, but it's, it's, it's only fair when you have a lot of people that are walking the trail. But it's been uh, – this year we've had a number of tours. I've had uh, anywhere from um, uh, science groups out there from schools, from still elementary school. Uh, I've had homeschoolers. I had one, um, one Thursday I had 50 people um, that were homeschool kids, their parents and their grandparents. And we walked around the trail, and the kids were so – uh, interested in the trail and the bluebirds, and they had so many good questions. Uh, we have women's groups that we do. Okay, so how do you? How does somebody find out about when you're going to have a walk and a talk and all this? Tell us your whole spiel on how people can find out about you. Well, I usually do a flyer, and I post it with the Cobb County, uh, the Master Gardeners. They put it on their website, uh, but I also have a blog that you can find it. Go to bluebirdtrail blogspot.com Okay, wait a minute. That's Bluebird Trail blogspot bluebirdtrail.blogspot.com Okay. And I try to update the blog on a uh, regular basis. My goal this year is to update it at least every month. Um, I thought you were going to say three times a week. Well, I'd like to, but that's uh, a lot of time. A lot, lot of, of time. A lot of updating. Yes. So I post the dates there, and you can also there's a um, the article on the fence if if people are out there walking the trail. I have an information piece that I put in a info box on the fence of the garden that they can take and uh, read about the trail. It also gives me an opportunity if people are um, impressed about all the work I've done. It gives them an opportunity to, to make a contribution if they want to send in. It has all my my name, my phone numbers, my address, my address. Are you address. a 501c3 corporation? I, I do it through the Master Gardeners of Cobb County, so I am. So it is tax deductible. Okay, so, very interesting. And all of that's on the flyer that they they can get or on the blog spot as well. That's so cool, Jim. Um, the Cornell the Nest Watch. Let, we haven't really gotten into the real science of the tracking of bluebirds and everything. And I know that we've got a lot of people that already knew a lot of this basics that we've talked about, but that would really like to get into knowing what Cornell is doing with the Nest Watch and how that works. Well, Cornell University probably has the biggest bird watch uh, count ornithology organization that I know of anyway in North America and they track not just bluebirds but they, they are interested in knowing about all birds uh, and so they've created a, a unbelievable uh, website of their own but also they have this site that's called Nest Watch and it's uh, password protected and the site that I have set up each of the nest boxes is numbered, it has the sponsor's name, and it has a dot on the map of the park. So when you look at the site, you can see exactly where mm -hmm. they're all located. 
And if I put the cursor on any one of those, it will tell me what Nestbox it is, what the, who the sponsors are, and it will tell me how many broods and how many eggs and how many birds we've hatched from okay, that. Okay, does this box. have like GPS coordinates, like the latitude and longitude it on it, so that it, they can actually know exactly pinpoint where it is? And they capture all that information to help them to study different birds in different parts of the country and the migrant because they do like a bird count in in some areas uh at different parts of the year right right but it, it allows them to know what kind of birds are in what areas what kind of projects such as this that are being done uh, they did an article on me for the bluebird trail which i thought was kind of neat i sent them the married a daily journal article and they kind of did a yeah it was it. a great article and it was very uh, well deserved so i do this on a uh, on a timely basis and then they're able to see what i'm doing what somebody else that maybe has a bluebird box that may be doing the same thing okay so you've been doing this for a year yes other people have been doing this so what's the prog what's the future of bluebirds in our country what what are they what kind of data are they giving back and are they learning well just based on this project along uh, that we've did with the 20 nest boxes we we hatched and fledged 111 birds in the first year so a hundred of those were bluebirds Eleven of them were, uh, six of them were chickadees, and five <laughs> of them were uh, Carolina wrens. They're like so, the um, the black swan or the uh, red bluebird. Well, they like the boxes to make a nest, so um, yeah. they're welcome to it. And, and, of course, if they make a nest there, I'm going to let them hatch their eggs. Right, and so. right. But the bluebird population, just by what I've done here, is 111 stronger or 100 stronger than it was a year before. So, now I'm play devil's advocate here. You think that if none of those boxes existed, that those 111 bluebirds wouldn't have been born? Uh, a big percentage of them would not have because they would not have had a place to make a nest. So by providing them a place to make a nest, we've given them an opportunity right. to increase the population. And by... Uh, keeps them in the area. So I figured this year with a hundred, with twenty-five nest boxes, we may do we may do one hundred and fifty birds. That's so cool. You know, the the bat, going back to the you know the old trees and the fence post where the bluebirds over time. I mean, like I, I guess you know when you grew up on a farm, you saw bluebirds in your fence post. Without those two options and without bluebird boxes, they just don't they, nest. They don't. They have, don't go to Plan C. They don't go to under a, a roof line and build a nest. They don't go in a tree in the open and build. No, they don't. They just don't do. They're it. they're cavity nesters. Okay. That's their, okay. That's okay. their instinct, and that's their. So, so without that, they don't get together as a couple. They don't make a nest. Right. Right. So they just don't raise additional young. There was some childhood book that I loved, and it was about a bluebird couple. Do you guys know the book? Mm -mm. And they met, and in the book, in the picture book, she had a little bag in her hand and had a little hat on, and she met 
they met in front of a bluebird nest and they decided to check it out and it was a great children's book and I'm brain dead I can't remember what it was but it was I, a good story anyway. I never forget a face yeah. I always forget names but I remember the picture of the little girl bluebird with the little hat and the little miniature suitcase going and checking out the nest oh well so the sponsorships I just want to kind of like wrap this up before we run out of time if people are interested in sponsoring a box or I have, a feed, I have a feeders. I have four feeder stations that are still to be sponsored. Okay. Uh, because I increased it from six to ten. And they do that on your blog. They can do that okay. either by calling me, or they can get the information off the blog, or they. That's how they can get a hold of me. So the so blog is the best way to do to it. To reach me, yes, because there's opportunities okay. for them to make a comment there. They can tell me what their interest. Because my, my goal is to get the, the four feeder stations sponsored, and I'll get those up this year. And then the other thing is to get people that want to be a friend of the Bluebird Trail yeah, by making and, contributions. Yeah, and Jim and uh, Mike and Sue may need uh, some relief in going out and checking, checking boxes. boxes. I mean, you need, it sounds like a great intern um, program for some students. Which I plan to get more and more schools involved in it. We're, we're doing a program now when the kids come out, and I'm, I'm getting volunteers to give me binoculars. And I put them all in a big bucket, and when the kids come out, I have them all numbered. Kids check them out. They check them out on a piece of paper, write their name in, which one. And they take them with them on the trail, and they look at all kind of birds. And when they come back, they check them back in. So I'm Jim, asking for I tell you something. I'm impressed. You've um, you've thought of oh, almost everything, everything on this. I mean, that's really good. You need to be commended for getting this started was, by yourself. It's a great project. It's been a lot of hours. Uh, I think, um, and I, I'm sure Renee will tell me tonight. I think my volunteer hours. That included some of the bluebird stuff was close to 400 hours this year, so it's uh, it takes quite a bit of time, but it's all enjoyable. Well, it just shows. It, I just want to let the listeners know. I mean, you know, Jim's graduating tonight and becoming a full-fledged master gardener, and he has during his first year created a wonderful environment for the community and you know to keep these bluebirds going. And I would just. If I may, just ask people to come out and enjoy it. Just come out and take a walk around the trail. It's easy. It's uh, There's always uh, some activity. It's almost guaranteed they'll always see bluebirds. Are there hours that the, the park's open? No, as long as it's uh, light and safe for them um, to walk it, and we've not had any problem on along the trail, but it is a park. It is uh, mm-hmm. open to the public, so as long as... Um, People have you invited anybody from Cornell to come down and visit? I haven't. I invited the lady, uh, the president of the uh, North American Bluebirds Society, and okay. she was on her way to the national convention, and I was traveling out of town, so we didn't get together. So this year I hope to be able to get her here. Jim, thank you so much for this hour. Anita, it was fun. Great. Thank you for listening to the Master Gardener Hour. Have a great week, and be safe.